Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Dustin Anderson, who is on staff at Journey the Church. You can find him at journeythechurch.org. So Dustin, tell me, you know, about, about your church, about your role, just and where you guys are going. Well, thanks for having me. I am a pastor at Journey the Church. I am the small groups and kind of the volunteer pastor. I used to do the youth ministries, kind of evolving away from that, um, but really enjoy what we're doing there. Our mission statement at Journey is loving the world one person at a time. So that's our, our key moving forward is just to love the world because the world desperately needs it right now. So we're located in beautiful uh it's hard to say Southern or Central California. People keep changing it. Uh, we're in Camarillo, so we, we get lots of sunshine. That's all I know. <laughs> I think Camarillo, Southern California, it was when I used to live in the San Fernando Valley. We thought of Camarillo, Southern California. Although I know that there's a there's a move, I, I guess, to, I mean, some people want to break California into three states. Some want to break it into two states. And I, I think we should just sort of keep it as it is. You know, I went on your website and looked around and, and I see you have a vision for planting churches and uh, being in your particular role. I, I think you're the first person that I've interviewed who is not the lead pastor. But the reason that we kind of connected is is at least your personal vision for church multiplication. How does that work? Because there's, there's a lot of guys like you that are kind of there. I'm on staff. I oversee small groups. The church has said it wants to do church planting, but then it never does. You're very positive about this. Talk us through that dynamic. What's going on and, and why and where and all that. I'm not to, to self-promote you or anything, but I absolutely love your book. I have it here. It's marked up. It's it's everywhere. I let well, go name, of the ring. Name the book for the people who are listening so they'll know to go again. Let, let go of the ring is a staple. If you have a bookshelf, <laughs> that book needs to be there because this spoke life into me and it was actually brought to my attention from someone that worked alongside you, uh, Pastor Randy Weir. And what happened is it gave me kind of a sense of peace recently going through this book because you know. God puts a calling on your heart, and sometimes you're chomping at the bit to get out to answer that call. And we're a church that does want to go and plant in, in other communities uh, all around so we can continue spreading the, the love that we want to show to other people, and anyone can get that gospel message. And it's tough to sometimes sit in the wait. That's the hardest part of saying, well, Am I, am I supposed to go out and plant? Am I supposed to do this thing? Maybe it was just me wanting to do it. Um, when is this going to happen? And seeing what your book talks about and actually working on myself to get ready to do that uh, church multiplication model. But at the same time, I am also working on other people at the, at the same time as I'm getting uh, primed and ready as well. So it's neat to see and what you've talked about in your past, your mini church model, getting these mini churches all set and eventually going out. So it seems like at one time, they'll just be spread like wildfire. But 
at the moment we're, we're sitting in that waiting period, especially after the pandemic. One of the things that I'm beginning to really realize is that the early church seen it, saw itself as existing for those people outside the church. The church in America today exists for, for the needs of its own members. In fact, almost any website you go on, the appeal to a non-believer is become a believer so you can have all these church benefits. I wrote a book for Exponential called Mega Multi Micro, which mega churches, you know, exploded and Christianity shrank. Then the mega churches went multi-site and Christianity shrank further. And now we're seeing this strong interest in, in micro churches. And I, and part of my life message at this moment it, to guys like you is you're in a position to know who could stay in your church and, and, and keep tithing and keep their kids there and keep stable while reaching a little pocket of people that are never going to come to your church. Maybe ethnicity gets involved. Maybe, uh, you know, they're, they're into, you know, some kind of a weird hobby that, kind of a circle kind of feedback to me uh, i mean you've been reading the stuff i've written and i know that you have thoughts rumbling around in your head but talk to me a little bit about the possibility of of the microchurch deal concurrent with you know not not in any way threatening the church that you are part of well there's a a term that's just changed my whole mindset uh, recently where someone said, it's not just about a tree, it's about the orchard. And so a lot of what you're saying, a lot of churches, and I used to to come to this model where I wanted the mega church. When I first started out, that, that seemed attractive to me. I, oh, the more people you could reach, just think of the, the stadiums you could pack. But as time goes on and you see these relationships that are made within a smaller church and had that personal interaction you can have, you can see the true discipleship happen. So what, what I'm seeing is that in a church right now that you're collecting these, what you're saying, you're kind of in the bullpen waiting with these uh, amazing future leaders. You're getting on the same mindset, the same wavelength, but you're also enabling them to go off and kind of get some on-job experience, something that you talk about uh, very much. So in your book, it's, you're getting life experience in a pastoral role that when you're ready to go plant a church, you can hit the, the ground running because nothing's kind of new to you. It's, it's, you've getting them prepared for the battle. You could, so to say, uh, move forward. So I, I agree wholeheartedly that, that we're making a turn away from the mega church model. Um, and it, it's based off these relationships. I, I've noticed after the pandemic, uh, at, at the very tail end of it, the one thing that people needed were relationships. And you just can't get that when someone is, you know, a person and a person and another person away from you. You can't get that physical interaction, the emotional help. And now when you're linked up with someone and there's so many people surrounded by you, that's where you truly get to have the transformation happen and the emotional support and everything you really need. You know, I think sometimes the models that we set um, either set us for a certain kind of success or a certain kind of failure. When I look at what I'm seeing emerge as micro church, it's almost impossible to fail because, you know, the, the definition, which is becoming kind of standard, my, my friend Brian Sanders has written quite a bit, Pastors of the Tampa Underground, which they have, there's like 200 micro churches in a network. 
and and basically he's saying that this is the church uh there's there's community there's uh worship which is romans 12 worship we surrender our our lives to god it's not sing a few songs and there is mission and and so they've they've started in some pockets of people who would not be attracted to brian but these people are attracted to brian's disciples and so mm. they'll see they'll call it, sometimes call it an aspirational microchurch there's just three or four people you know they're kind of looking for 18 20 whatever although some of them are quite a bit larger but by by those standards honest to goodness worship surrender community and an admission i i was in a gathering of people i'm going to call it here when i first moved to san diego there's 4,500 people a weekend meeting in this place and like three weekend events and they call themselves a church i'm going to say they're a gathering because no one ever spoke to me other than to say welcome to church x three times on my way in the Mm -hmm. door and then that was the end of it and I, I, you know, I've been a pastor a long time. And we're really in the community. So I started getting mad at these people. Like, they're not friendly to me. Then I began to notice they're not talking to each other, like coming in or going out. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they walk in the door, they hear the thing and they leave. And, they don't, you know, I had been to a Bob Dylan concert just before I went there. And the only difference between the two was the size of the crowd and the lack of the smell of marijuana in, in this group that called themselves a church. They weren't a church by this very simple standard. And so I see that we set models. It would be hard to fail at a micro church because it, it's relational. It's pretty easy to begin to find mission if you start looking for it. And, you know, the people who are going to be involved hopefully are, are, are in lifestyle worship. You referenced earlier my friend and my hero, one of my heroes, Randy Weir. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about Randy, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and make sure this gets into the podcast. Randy uh, was part of the, I mean, he showed up in our church the, the third Sunday that we were there, the, the, the third week. He'd been part of a group of kind of hippified high school kids, and he'd graduated by this time. And they had found the Lord, and then they had uh, shared the Lord, and there's this girl that they shared the Lord with. She stumbles into our church and we led her to Christ. By this time, Randy guys had gone to some real well-organized traditional church. And they were told they didn't dress right, you know, whatever, long hair, beards, all that, get a haircut, you can come to our church. And, and, and they were stopped from coming in. Well, they got kind of mad, discouraged. And, and, and the story I heard was they went back to the garage where they used to smoke dope and uh started doing a bible study and then pretty soon they're doing a bible study and smoking dope and then pretty soon it's just the dope and then this girl <laughs> pony found the lord and she she brings them all to our church which they became the backbone of our church is this little cadre of people but randy weir was just a natural evangelist he's such a likable guy and he's just always you know bringing people to know jesus and and so um we're still figuring this all out at the time and we didn't really understand APES, so we don't see this guy's more of an evangelist than he is a pastor or a teacher or whatever. And eventually, uh, he helps another guy start a church in Westchester, California, and then he moves to Ventura. But the model that we set, by this time, we're kind of a mini megachurch, and that's what we're trying to duplicate. 
Well, that didn't fit Randy's gifts. And that guy stayed at it. He's a carpenter. He's working hard. He's a contractor doing his own business. And then he's trying to do this full-blown whatever kind of a church. Had we been smart enough to go, hey, Randy, start with a micro church. It could have even grown into something much bigger. But they were carrying the debt of a building. They were carrying the, the time load of trying to keep all these ministries going. And, and he did this for years and years. I mean, really, really heroic, incredible man of God. And, um, and, I, and, I, and now I know that he has, has left that and he's doing other ministries. And so he's still my hero. But I, I look at this and I, I go, this, my friend suffered a lot because of me. And, and because of my stupidity and not really a, approaching the world as the world is. And I, I see, um, you know, embracing somebody around their spiritual gifts, discipling and coaching them around their spiritual gifts, and then fitting ministry. But as I see the, the microchurch thing, I, I see it as an implement, a tool. And if we, if we used it, because we had always aimed for we're going to start a church of 150 people, you know, out the door. Well, that just wasn't realistic for some. I mean, some it grew huge, but others it would it would kind of shrink back to 80, and and that was their 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 position. But if now looking at it, I would try to start every church as a micro church, and then just let it blossom into whatever. And if it stayed a micro church, that's a success. If it grew into something else, well, that's a different kind of success. So as, as we're talking here, um, what, what's kind of the scope of, of the church that you're in right now? What, what are you guys doing in the community? And uh, talk to me a little bit about your lead pastor. He's a really intriguing guy. Uh, uh, just, you know, it, it seems like you're really fortunate to be working with this man. Yes, uh, we, we have a, a great team. We're led by an amazing pastor. His name's Jeff, has a great testimony story. Uh, you had passionate in the, the dictionary, you're going to find a picture of him with it. So uh, true evangelist likes to get up there and he's helped us come up with this mission statement. Like I said, loving the world one person at a time. And we really feel that, you know, we've been in computer screens and TVs for the past year. So it, we've been a mobile church our entire life. We don't have a, a church building. Uh, we meet at a community center right now. So it feels like we're just, on the go. And that's how we need to be in the community. So we're going to start launching some efforts. Uh, kind of what you're talking about with the food share program is getting out to meet the needs of people, not the needs that need to be met in the church, but for everyone else outside the walls. I feel as the pandemic hit, what you were saying is we saw that we were missing the boat uh, as churches in a whole because people we're kind of floundering. Some were lost, some were disgruntled. And I feel it's because we didn't give them an opportunity to make real relationships with other people. We made it so much about, here, this is what I want to say. This is what needs to be said. I hope you're listening. And we forgot about making connections with different people. Um, God made it happen that right before this whole thing happened, we, we never had small groups and we call them community groups in our church. We, it wasn't a part of our philosophy and we started them right before everything hit. And I think that was our saving grace going through this whole past year is people were truly connected. They didn't have to hear from a pastor. 
they were able to talk and pray together and live life together and support each other. And we had groups that experienced, you know, death and loss and to hear testimonies that they felt more supported than ever. And yet, yes, we checked on them, but we didn't, I guess, walk hand in hand with them every single step of the way because their group was there with them and their leaders were walking hand in hand with them. And that's such a beautiful sight. So I feel as a church, we're trying to get more based in the community, finding ways, like you're saying, to reach people that need it, people that that want the help but are, don't know how to step foot in the church yet. And we want to take the gospel message to them and just a loving hand to them. So we just hope to be a fixture in a community any way possible. Talk to me a little bit about your relationship with, with Randy. And, uh, and, and, you know, again, my hero, one of my heroes, uh, I know he's, he's rubbed off on you. You know, I, I did not grow up in the church. Uh, I think that's important to say. My mom took me to church when I was younger, but I stepped away to pursue, you know, sports. And I had a job. And then the job was on Sundays. But, uh, you know, instances happened in my life where I did come to the Lord. And I remember sitting there. And I felt this calling on my heart and I knew I was supposed to be doing something uh, in ministry. And I remember seeing this gentleman who would preach from time to time at our, at our, that then it was a much smaller church and kind of get to know him. And that's Randy. Uh, He is just, just, we, I don't know, there's not enough kind words to say about him. (laughs) And he started this, small group uh, with a few guys that he felt could be future leaders, what you're talking about, like surrounding yourself with people and teaching them. And what he's done for me is he's brought books forward for me to learn from, to apply. We meet on a, depending on the season, a weekly basis to go over questions, talk about life. Um, He helps with my message uh, recap when I have a chance to preach, he'll, you know, usually he's very encouraging. Uh, He'll, he'll take different notes of what could be improved upon. Um, But he's lived life. He's, he's come over to my house to host a small group himself of a discipleship method with people that I picked that would be great for him to disciple. So he's discipled so many. Um, He's changed my life for the better. Um, And it's just exciting where we start talking about, the next steps. And that, that's the, the exciting part for me when you have someone that has the, the method down and understands the big picture and you find someone like-minded like that and you put your minds together and start, you know, dreaming for the future. Now it gets really exciting to see what God can, can bring from this. And, you know, what you're saying, uh, Randy's passionate. Uh, he, he and Janet have been huge staples in, in mine and my wife's life. So I'm just can't, say thanks enough for having him a part of it that's really really cool you know when, when i hear you say that it's like oh my gosh he, he he's running what we would see as a kind of the middle tier you know you got the big thing on the weekend but then you get together with a group of leaders who are leading other stuff and uh and all, all of our staff did that i did that and so i like got six to eight people you know from, and, and we're all reading books together and doing that. And so he's still doing that. And, uh, and obviously very successfully, that's, that's very exciting. I, I, I get frustrated with people who are always talking about their legacy. 
but there is such a thing. And, and what you just said, it's like, oh my gosh, what we were doing in Manhattan Beach, California, so many years ago is bearing fruit in Camarillo, you know, four decades later. It's, it's, it's wondrous. It's mind boggling. Yeah. So. Well, it's, it's amazing. He's what you have done by, you know, equipping other people that's trickling down what you're saying. And it's so fun to see. So that the same meetings that Randy leads now gives me a chance. And now I lead our volunteer staff and the very similar meetings. And then the hope I've already selected someone that I've teaching in that. So then they're going to be able to start teaching. It's just this amazing domino effect that, that you guys embody and you move with. Uh, the, the cool thing is with your church multiplication method and model is no one just sits on their hands and stops. Everyone's moving. They continue to keep going and it multiplies. And that's how you have affected the globe uh, in such a significant way. That's really cool to hear. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.